politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to CR Podcast. Those of you waiting eagerly to fight for liberty anew. That is right. You cannot comply your way out of tyranny. You must fight it, punch it right in the face. This is your hub for all information, strategies, and news on how to get back our liberty. And folks, we have a lot going on today. Busy show. My buddy Steve Dace is going to join me today. We're going to kind of reverse our typical Wednesday routine because Steve's off the air this week. Um, We're going to get into a lot of philosophy, philosophically. How do you battle a cult? But a cult that is not suffice to sit alone in a corner or go to Jonestown and kill itself, but is trying to kill us as well and take away our life, liberty, and property. You might say, well, I don't care. I'll just leave them alone, but they won't leave you alone. So that's the question we're going to explore with Steve Dace. We're going to give a broad overview of this year. Is there room for optimism? Are there signs that we're fighting back? You know, I'm looking at a lot of these state legislatures that are getting back in session either later this week or next week. And I don't know. I think there's a couple of states where we'll probably do some good things. But, man, I mean, some of these red states, they may as well be San Francisco. Because ultimately, the Republican Party is part of the problem, not the solution. But I want to start off going through some of these cultish behaviors we're seeing. The more the shots not only don't work, but actually spread the virus even more, the more they viciously adhere to it, mandate it. I mean, stuff that we never could have thought would happen in America, Western countries. Show me your papers, please. Remember, you know, I was involved in the fight over SB 1070, Arizona's immigration law, where they simply wanted to enforce federal immigration law against criminal aliens. So, you know, you catch an illegal alien uh, drunk driving or something, and, you know, if you have reasonable suspicion to believe he's here illegally, um, you know, you would require proof of of citizenship. And we said, no, no, you're violating the rights of people that don't have the right to be here. You, You could take an American and illogically discriminate against him Engage in apartheid segregation. Say you can't participate in society if you don't get our choice of Pfizer. If you don't have a Pfizer passport, then you can't you can't participate in society. Think about where we are now. It started off with you have to wear a mask because a mask works, but it doesn't work for me. You need to wear a mask to help protect my mask from not working. And then it went to, you have to get a shot to protect my shot, which didn't work for me. Well, now it's different. Even though the mask works so well that it doesn't work unless you also wear it, even though both are wearing masks, they don't work so long as there's no vaccine, but then even though you are injected, it doesn't work unless the other guy is injected. But now, even though you are both injected, they don't work unless you both are also wearing a mask. That's where we are. What comes next? I shudder to think what comes next. But let me tell you something. If we don't fight it, we're about to find out because they're not done yet. Now, before we get into more stuff, we have a new sponsor this year, Masterworks. Um, 
a lot of you, I'm sure, are in my, are in my predicament where we're caught with a lack of choices for investment. In an unpredictable market, the stock market's constantly at an all-time high. Money is like baloney, phony, monopoly money. High volatility. Money has no value. Raging inflation. How do you protect your savings? Here's the good news. There's now an exciting alternative asset class that the coastal elites used to have access to for generations, but it's now available to everyday investors across the country. While money is worthless, certain assets, we've, you know, we've talked a lot about gold. One is blue chip art. I'm talking about paintings from the greats like Picasso, artwork that's seen a price appreciation that has outpaced the S&P 500 over the past two decades through all administrations. And now for the first time ever, every American can invest in blue chip art without spending millions of dollars with Masterworks. Um, Masterworks is the $1 billion startup um, demo- democratizing the art market in other words you don't have to sit and buy a hundred thousand dollar painting where only the wealthy could do that uh you could invest in art you could be an investor in a portion of it so you get a portfolio investors recently saw a 31 percent return um net of fees based on the recent sale of one of their paintings my listeners can receive priority access to their newest offerings get started at masterworks.art slash conservative review see important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer again that's masterworks.art slash conservative review so again when you look at this cultish behavior okay did you know hospitals are now allowing triple vaccinated people to literally work while they're sick so they went and chased away all the people that were injection free saying that you're going to spread the virus, and they created a staff shortage. Now, when their idolatry doesn't work, and all these people get the virus, they're like, oh man, we have a staff shortage. You can come in when you're sick. So if you're injection-free, and you have no symptoms and you're healthy, you can't work in a hospital. But if you're triple-injected, and you downright have symptoms... You could work with a cancer patient. Again, it's an idolatry. Folks, you look at Public Health of Ontario, Canada. They put out a study, you know, the public health there, in MedRx, the title is Effectiveness of COVID-19 Vaccine Against Omicron or Delta Infection. And they were reporting negative efficacy after two doses against Omicron. Receipts of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine are not protective against Omicron infection at any point in time. After the second dose, they found negative 38% efficacy at 120 to 179 days post, rising to negative 42% after 180 days. It's about six months. Now, they claim after seven days of a third shot, you get 37% efficacy. But we've seen this roadshow before where they lied on the first iteration, and now that we're up to the third shots, in order to bolster the third shot, they're willing to admit they were wrong on the second one. So, I mean, I wouldn't even believe that, but even they're saying it's only 37%. But negative efficacy, and again, that's after seven days. Guess what they didn't study? What does efficacy of the third shot look like after a month or two or three? 
Okay? So, that's the thing. Um, you know, it, it's worthless if it gives you a tiny bit of negligible 30% efficacy for a couple of weeks while making you negative for the first week or two and then negative again after that. It's unbelievable, but this is straight up in their data. Danish Serum Statin Institute, they have a study out, <coughs> also a preprint. I'm, I'm quoting to you from, from their study. Surprisingly, we observed no significant difference between the SAR, that's the secondary attack rate, meaning your infectivity within a household, of Omicron versus Delta among unvaccinated individuals. So in other words, it's very important. When you look at Omicron, they found that what they did is they studied about 9,000 household transmissions. Okay, so the prevalence of a secondary attack rates within households of a primary infection for COVID. Delta versus Omicron. And they found among the unvaccinated, it was kind of roughly the same rate between uh, Delta and Omicron. Omicron is very slightly more uh, transmissible. Okay. They go on to say this indicates that the increased transmissibility of Omicron primarily can be ascribed to immune evasion rather than an inherent increase in the basic transmissibility. Comparing household infected with Omicron to Delta, we found a 1.117 times higher secondary attack rate for unvaccinated. So, you know, slightly more. 17% more, you say. 1 to 1.7. Or 1.17. But a 2.61 times higher for fully vaccinated, and 3.66 times higher for booster-vaccinated individuals demonstrating strong evidence of immune evasiveness of the Omicron VOC, variant of a concern. Folks, you know what that shows? That all things equal, we would not have gotten something this transmissible. What this demonstrates, it's the vaccinated that are the super spreaders, and the more you do it, the more it's going to super spread as Vanden Bosch warned. Now, thank God, the saving grace, no thanks to them, God likely smiled upon us, is that he made it that this variant is, is pretty much exclusively upper respiratory, not lower respiratory. So the vaccinated are going to spread it more. They're going to keep it alive more. Um, and they might get it qualitatively a little bit worse. But overall... You know, we're not going to see too much death from this variant. And hopefully it will spread immunity to future variants, we hope. And basically give natural immunity on the cheap. But folks, this is very clear. That had we not had the shots, COVID would have been over with. It creates viral immune escape. Everyone knows that. This is truly, truly unbelievable they are more likely to spread it in a sane world we would ban the vaccinated now i don't want to ban people i'm not trying to do back to them they're doing to us but we should definitely ban the shots this is the cult and they've been lying they're like all the people that are dying are are unvaccinated and it makes no sense let me give you vermont for an example okay 
So we know that in the UK, it's been anywhere from 60 to 85% of the deaths the entire year. And this is before Omicron. Omicron is straight up negative efficacy. Now, we've seen negative efficacy on transmission even with Delta in the UK for months. It's just this is this gets to negative right away, whereas that took a couple months. You know, first a couple weeks, and then, you know, there was a window of efficacy. But it had some degree of efficacy against serious illness from the part of the virus that it made more virulent for everyone else that wouldn't have been virulent had we not had them. But in, the, but in America, we have this anecdotal nonsense. Oh, everyone's unvaccinated. It doesn't make sense. Why should it be different than the UK? The answer is it's not. They're lying. Vermont is the most vaccinated state in the country. Yet they've had three times more COVID deaths after the introduction of the vaccines than before. And most of them have been fairly recently, last few months, before Omicron. But, you know, October, November, December well into the vaccination when everyone was vaccinated. 86% of all people five, age five and older are vaccinated, but that doesn't do it justice because the extent that, that it's a little bit lower, it's in the kids, the teenagers, and a little bit, to a certain extent, in the 20-somethings. 100% of people over 65 are vaccinated. Like 98% over 50 are vaccinated. People in their 30s and 40s, 90% are vaccinated. There aren't enough people around who die from this thing to, to account for them. It's mathematically impossible when they go around and say almost everyone in Vermont is dying is unvaccinated. That is mathematically impossible. It makes no sense. Unless you would have a torrent of deaths among children and 20-somethings occurring in Vermont that has occurred nowhere else on Earth. But this is the cult. It doesn't matter. What's it all about? What is this all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. Here's a video from Fauci. Okay, let me let me just play this here. December 11th, 2009. Okay, so this is about 12 years ago. It's about a minute clip. It looks like he appeared before some sort of congressional committee take a listen you know as a public health person i would think that the goal that i would see to really stabilize the system and therefore make it less of a crisis issue when you get to have a pandemic uh, flu which we know will will again occur as was predicted uh, even though they're rare events they do occur is to get as many people vaccinated as possible and and what we foresee in the future is that influenza vaccine will be something that is essentially a routine vaccination for everyone and if we then transition that into the universal vaccine then you may only have to do that every couple of years and get people protected not only from seasonal flu but from pandemic flu in my mind that's the end game and that's good for the companies, too, because they're going to know and predict that every year the vast majority of the American population is going to get vaccinated, not having to guess will they or will they not this year or next year. Folks, you hear that? It's good for the companies. He let the cat out of the bag. It's all about the companies, Pfizer and, and whoever else, Big Pharma. We always knew that's what it was about, but now we have it. Confirmed. It was always about the companies. 
And by the way, also what you what you see from just that minute clip is that they were working on this stuff for for years and even decades. This did not come about in eight months in 2020. Some of us, and I, I include myself in that category where I, I missed it. I didn't cover this, and I should have at the time. I didn't realize that this was a raging fire. This was the way they were going to take over the world. They were obsessing about coming up with vaccine, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you, you could be the most pro-vaccine guy in the world, and it has its place, you know, for certain elements, certain times, certain shots. But that this degree of a cult is crazy. So the cult didn't start with COVID, and COVID didn't start with COVID because they were creating it long before. It seeped into the mainstream, you know, average Karen, average person bought into the cult because that's when they went full court press. But they've been working on this forever. Certainly the last 20 years or so. So folks, the message I want to give to you before we bring on Steve is that you're not going to battle a cult with better information, although I think for people in the middle so they don't get involved in the cult, you need, it's important we keep putting out information. It's with power. And that means that we have to flush their power with our power. And that means, and I'm coming out with my blueprint later today or tomorrow, it's going to be published, my list of you know six broad categories, but it's like you know, 30, 40 items that we must pass to flush our system of COVID fascism, the biomedical state. We need to ban all COVID fascism in any forms, private, public, because nothing is private, and it's all come from the government. John Dickinson, November 1765, in response to this Stamp Act, he wrote what's called the broadside against the Stamp Act. You could Google it. John Dickinson, and, and Dickinson, keep in mind, as I read this to you, he was actually one of the more moderate guys that didn't want to rush into war with England. And he said the following, if you comply with the act by using stamped papers, you fix, you rivet perpetual chains upon your unhappy country. You unnecessarily, voluntarily establish the detestable, detestable precedent which those who have forged your fetters ardently wish for to varnish the future exercise of this new claimed authority. You may judge of the use that will be made of it by the eagerness with which the pack of ministerial tools have hunted for precedence to palliate the honors of this attack. They're always looking for precedence. When you set a precedent that they can control your body, they can control your mouth. Oh, it's just a mask. I couldn't believe it. We let that go. Oh, it will be over with soon. It never will. You heard Fauci. They will never end it. He, he goes on to say the stamp back, therefore, is to be regarded only as an experiment of your disposition. If you quietly bend your necks to that yoke, you prove yourselves ready to receive any bondage to which your lords and masters shall please to subject you. That's where we are now. Emmanuel Macron he gave a speech. He's a friend, French president. He, he said that the unvaccinated are non-citizens. And he said, I really want to piss them off. And so we will continue to do so to the bitter end. That's the strategy. 
folks, we don't have to imagine where things are going to happen. We're already there. You cannot comply your way out of this. It's time in our communities everywhere to say no. It's time we become tribal like they, like the other side is, band together. we got to find a few pl- states where we can go to and criminalize their tyranny with the same fervorance, the same indefatigable strategies, and the same conviction that they have criminalized our life, liberty, and property. So now, folks, as we enter this sour note, sour but sobering, I would say, I figured I would flip the script on you today. Typically on Wednesday, I come on Steve Dace's show and I shower him with woe and lamentation. Well, now I want him to shower us with sunshine. Steve is off today, but he was gracious enough to come on my show uh, Wacky Wednesday here backwards. Steve doesn't really need much of a intro to you guys. He's the author of Fauci and Bargain, my colleague here at The Blaze. He also has a newer book out, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer. Steve, welcome back here. It's been a while. Happy New Year. And please hey. give me a reason to be optimistic this year. <laughs> oh, same to you, my friend. Um, I think Omicron uh, is a reason to be optimistic. I do. Uh, I think that we um, we are now. You may not get the earthly results or verdicts you would like. Okay. I mean, we just saw the other day that Andrew Cuomo is going to walk for sexually harassing a bunch of women and murdering a bunch of grandparents. But. I mean, he did, you know, his entire family has been politically defrocked, which is almost a prison, you know, a a hellish prison when you live your life based on ego like they do. But it's not the kind of justice people like you and I were hoping for. So you may not end up with the the verdict or the reckoning um, or the resetting of the great reset you want. But as one of my radio mentors once taught me, if at first you don't succeed, lower your standards. If you are willing to accept clarity as a win on some level, I think you're already seeing it with Omicron, and I think you will continue to see it. And I think that for the first time in these last few weeks, we have seen what I call COVID stan, and it's it's propaganda narrative in reaction mode and somewhat on the defensive. And I think to some degree it has been absolutely blindsided by this strain. I think that it made a mistake by uh, publicizing it in late November around Thanksgiving as its new panic porn before any of the real data was in. And then lo and behold, I think they looked at South Africa and the and the uh, the level of malnutrition there where a majority of the citizens are at or below the poverty line where they just had a generation of kids there. Uh, you know, ra- a generation of South Africans ravaged by AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It's one of the worst AIDS countries in the world. So many kids are just born there with it, Daniel. Uh, so you've got malnutrition, which is even worse for your immune system than obesity is. Uh, you've got uh, starvation. You've got a system that went from a pr- institutional racism to institutional Marxism. So a lack of quality health care. You've got a second now generation of South Africans ravaged in their immune systems, and only 25% of the country is jabbed, 
and men have 15 uh, years of a lower life expectancy there than they do here in the U.S. And I think that they thought that this was going to be um, their confirmation group of all of their propaganda. And they built this thing up to such epic proportions. And I think they've been blindsided by it. I think that you're going to you're, you're already seeing signs of that. And it's a year too late, but a lot of points people like you and I were making in 2020 and early 21, they're now saying and responding to, like Fauci the other day saying, well, there's kids in the hospital with COVID, but not from COVID. So this is the first time that they have been forced to react. You cannot memory hole Omicron like you could a Sweden in 2020. Um, that's just one country that's kind of an outlier for the rest of the world. This is this this is the data we're seeing all over the world. You saw Boris Johnson just yesterday come out with a chart that shows they're not seeing any lethality spikes from Omicron whatsoever. Uh, you saw one of the Anthony Fauci's of Denmark come out and say yesterday that she thinks that this is the signs of the end of the pandemic within the next couple of months, that this thing is indemnifying uh, as we speak uh, and, and the pandemic the pandemic phase of, the, of COVID, I should say. So I think Omicron as a clarifier is, is a reason for optimism. Now, you know, will in this life or given how far gone the culture is, are we going to get the ultimate reckoning from this that we had hoped? I'm not very optimistic about that. But at this point right now, uh, I mean, I, I, I just want the truth more than anything else. And then we can worry about actions and consequences after we get it. So How's I understand that? what you're saying with the truth. We are getting a tremendous amount of clarity where on the one hand, we have a variant that doesn't even really need to be treated, assuming you know you have that version of it. Um, it's it's not pretext, should never be pretext for panic. And then on the other hand, their choice of weapon against it doesn't work, and that's abundantly clear. Um, the negative efficacy with Delta was a little mm -hmm. bit more nuanced. You have to understand it here. It's just straight up. Everyone who gets the shot gets COVID. Now, mm -hmm. I get that, and I certainly get that it's reason to be optimistic just from the virus itself. Um, I, I do believe that God likely foiled their plans. I believe they had a plan to slide back natural immunity, um, which this does. But on the other hand, they couldn't hold the center because once something is like that, and because this was clearly contrived, it was clearly created, and I can't imagine they created it for good intentions uh, based on what it's doing. And then in, in the end, it's just an upper respiratory rather than lower respiratory. So even yep. if you're getting a degree, I just read a Danish study of viral immune escape, of, of negative efficacy, of ADE, which I do think you are getting, but it's ADE on an upper respiratory, not lower respiratory. So I know a lot of vaccinated people, they're having a miserable week, but miserable because it's a bad cold. Not like you're worried about your blood oxygen level going to the 70s right. and dying tomorrow. Yep. Um, and I think that's, that is the reason for optimism. By the way, you guys could still go to 7cells.com, promo code Steve or Daniel uh, to get 20% off because we still don't know what the future holds. Um, so make sure you are prepared. Now, Steve, here's the problem. I understand that basically they're being exposed, but do they even care? Because you need a certain degree of lies, a certain degree of fear and panic porn to groom and induce the population to change their lifestyle. That was 2020. But mm -hmm. once you've achieved that, which they did, and the society is already groomed, this is what you do. You have to get vaccinated. You could 
say until you're blue in the face that, dude, it doesn't work. It literally doesn't work. It doesn't matter. They get away with it anyway. We're seeing, I'm not seeing anywhere policy-wise where they are going in reverse. And in fact, they're doubling down on it. Do you see any optimism? I I know you just said we might not get the judgment, the Nuremberg 2.0 in our lifetime and certainly this year. But do we even get alleviated from these policies? I think one of the big debates that's going to be fascinating to watch is within the Democratic Party these next few weeks and months because of Omicron. And you've already seen it kind of play out a little bit where the day after Christmas, Joe Biden comes out and says there's no federal solution to COVID. CDC comes out and makes the kind of step towards sanity with their protocols that guys like you and me were demanding over a year ago. And and then they get pushback. Now, the pushback, though, isn't from people that are most likely to vote for them or not vote for them this fall, but the people that are. But look at the way they've responded to the pushback. They still aren't demanding asymptomatic testing, for example. It's, it, there's, there's some recognition. There's some recognition within the Democratic Party that there is going to be an election this year. And we're upside down and in the red on every indicator that friggin' matters. And if this continues, we're looking at losing 60, 70 seats. We're looking at a 2014 kind of a Senate defeat, which was one of the biggest swings in U.S. history. Democrats went from a four Senate seat majority to a five Senate seat minority in one election. Post Reconstruction, that was the biggest, that was a tie for the biggest single swing of Senate seats in one election in U.S. history since Reconstruction. They're looking at being completely and totally wiped out in states where they have made some gains to the point they could win statewide, like a Democrat governor in Kansas, for example. They're, they're looking at, a, as a party, at being at, at a situation where they are wiped out with, with almost the 2010 and 2014 elections combined. So almost the, both, the, both, those two party, the, both those Tea Party elections in one cycle, and then they are left with an 80-year-old dementia-riddled standard bearer heading into the next one. Now, what we don't know, though, is how many how many people of sanity actually are in charge in that party? If I had to guess, what we're going to learn is it's more than people like maybe you and I in the industry we live in. We're frankly part of our shtick, if we're being honest, with most of our peer group, is to make it seem like everybody in the Democratic Party is a communist. Okay. Now it is true that everybody that every communist votes Democrat, but not everybody in the Democratic Party is a communist. So if I had to guess, we're going to find out that. There's more branch Covidians, non-branch Covidians over there than we thought. And you're already seeing rumblings of this from the Connecticut governor. I won't reinstitute masks because they don't work in New York. The Colorado governor has actually been consistent. He actually followed through with their original plan and is being rewarded for it. He told people, hey, if you get jabbed, you can have your lives back. Your lives back. He's not changing the rules based on the data. And after they hit that, after they hit the critical mass of people they wanted jabbed, he came out and declared the pandemic is over. Okay. And so I think we're going to learn there's there's more realists over there than our branding probably admits, but not enough to actually completely overrun COVID before the people have a COVID stand before the people have their stay in November of this of this year. And I think in the interim, what will happen is you will see more and more states begin to aggressively peel off from this narrative because. There, everybody's a lot of people are up for re-election. 
And a lot of people want their lives back. And, and, and the story I think that will come, I actually think by the time this year ends, given what I'm seeing with Omicron, and to me, the key data point with Omicron is the reverse engineered immunity that shows clear, that's a clear evidence of attenuation. It is because I know for a long time we feared we were going to have these things ravaging simultaneously uh, and, and, the, and an ADE driven Delta eradicating uh, vaccine immunity and then making it and piercing natural immunity. And what we're seeing in South Africa is that it reverse engineers immunity there. That if you have if you have Delta, you're probably still getting Omicron at some point. But if you get Omicron, you may now not get Delta. That it, the antibodies are strong in reverse. I think that's clear signs of attenuation, providence, blessing, God's or nature's vaccine. I think that's a clear sign of it. If that continues on, then, then I think there will absolutely be an out loud conversation in the Democratic Party as we get into March of this year. And it's going to be about how do we get off the, who, who wants the off ramp here so we can rebuild some level of optimism and some level of economic rebound narrative for the third quarter before the election. Now, they may not be able to do it. If I had to bet, they won't. I mean, you see, if I had to bet, they're, they're too beholden to their woke scold Twitter base and the nut jobs to systemically uh, pull a full Clinton here and, and just sister soldier all of COVID in an election year. My guess is they won't be able to do it, but you will see a few do it. I think you're gonna see a lot of Republicans do it or at least brand themselves as doing it. And I think by the time we get through this year, much of what we've known as COVID stand in America will, will seem as if it was passe or memory hold. I would not have said that before Omicron but I think Omicron has absolutely blindsided their narrative and is blowing it up in real time. Now you've got now they're trying to put the kids back out of back at home. There's a lot of Karens who hate Donald Trump that don't want it, don't want their damn kids back at home. They want them in school. OK, I, I think that they're cornered on this. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that the precedent that they were allowed to set will go away. OK. They have a new they have a new yeah. methodology now. They have a new game plan now. They have been trying to see for decades how can they make things like their energy, um, their energy crisis, their race crisis, their sexuality crisis. How can they make it hit every single American individually so it's not just theoretical? How can they force this on you at a molecular granular level? And they've never really been able to figure out how to do it. COVID showed them through the public health emergency, this is how you do it. And this is why guns will be a public health emergency, um, you know, uh, uh, internal combustion engines will be a public health emergency. Everything's going to be a public health emergency. So when I say that, that, that I believe COVID stan, Omicron may end up being the vaccine against COVID stan, that front or battle of, in face of this, of this spirit of the age enemy may go away, but that enemy will not go away. It'll be rebranded and repackaged as something else. And if I could do a plug, that's why I wrote Do What You Believe, because I believe that this will be the future enemy from a culture war standpoint, this sort of a playbook that we're going to be up against, and we need to update our own tactics in response to it. And that's what I try to do in that book. Exactly. So even in the most optimistic sense, and you're saying that it might be rougher maybe another month or so in my county, they reinstated the mass mandate, but you're saying eventually if we're right about the trend and the trajectory after about a month or so, this will die down. You'll have broad immunity. Who knows? But let's say that's what it is. They cannot be caught with the hot potato. 
but but on the other hand, Republicans will just try to drop it, and that's why we gotta not allow them to drop it. Right. We need constitutional amendments in every state legislature Agreed. that we can get to criminalize all of this for the future, life, liberty, property, all of this, mass vaccines, shutdowns. It needs to be permanently banned, and now's the time to fight, as you as you note, uh, while you are still free to to push it. That all makes sense to me, but my let me add, can yeah. I add one more thing to that real quick. And and I'm with you. I I typically don't care if Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer is running the Senate or Mitch or Mitch's little uh, step brother, bro, Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House or Nancy Pelosi. My life doesn't really change either way because hacks are going to hack. This is one circumstance, though, that this midterm election, you, you know, the laws of politics, the Democrats tried to pretend as if they can violate the laws of politics. And they get away with it a lot for a while because the Republicans let them, but then the voters every every few cycles rise up and just absolutely pimp slap them in response, okay? But the Republicans always behave as if the natural laws of politics are still in effect. This is why they often lose. They play by a certain rule of engagement that the other side gave up on a long time ago. They're honoring Geneva Convention codicils from the post-World War I, while the other side's out there, they're on their 17th version of mustard gas. They've already anally injected in everybody, okay? <laughs> so, but this is where it might work towards our favor. If the Republicans and if the Republicans gain control of at least the House, and I think even if the Democrats choose the Omicron off ramp and stave off a massive tidal wave, their majority is so scant that they'll probably still lose the House anyway. If Republicans have control of the House, you and I both know they will not. And even if they have control of the House and the Senate, they will not substantively fight on any policy issue no. because to do so would require a government shutdown. That's the only leverage they really have. OK, so we know that. On the other hand, they also know they can't just sit there throughout all of 2023 and provide no content, nothing to the audience. They can't do that. I'm sorry, all of 2024, I should say. Yeah, 2023, I meant, yes. They can't do that. They can't just sit there throughout all of 2023 and do nothing. And, and, and Because what are all these platforms from most of these Fox shows, Tucker, from all of our platforms, we're all going to be talking about how they're not doing anything. They've got to feed us content like Chuck Schumer today talking about we're going to fight to suspend this. He doesn't have the votes to suspend the Senate rules. And he knows that. That's why he's doing it. He's just providing, you know, get shorty. Joe Manchin is the devil content for MSNBC host today. That's all. OK, so the GOP knows they have to provide us something. I believe what they will provide us in, 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 in instead of substantive policy fights is I do believe Maybe it won't go to the extent that people like you and I want it to go, but I believe they will pry open the Overton window to some degree from an investigatory standpoint on the origins of the virus, treatments, things of that nature, is I do think that they will feed that content stream uh, to our platforms in order to satiate our audiences, which will give guys like you and I more of an opportunity to get to some answers here that then help us to craft the case for why this can never happen again. I do think that will happen. So where I think I would probably disagree with that is that I think they're going to offer the typical porn, which is perhaps the Supreme Court coming in with some sort of pro-life decision that they don't even have to do anything, and they could feast off of that. They'll feast off of legacy issues. Here's my problem, and I want to get your thoughts on this and juxtapose it to the life issue. 
this is a different issue than every other issue. If you look even now, 12 months into this, the Republican governors, aside from DeSantis and to maybe a lesser degree, two or three others, they are as fervently bought into the COVID cult as Democrat governors. They're still out there saying there's no treatment. You're going to die if you don't take it. You're stupid. These are the best shots imaginable. Facts don't matter. Um, the the shocking degree of injury. You know, we had an OBGYN, 42-year-old, 42-year veteran uh, uh, obstetrician uh, talking about the degree of miscarriages, stillborns, babies born with problems. I mean, this thing is biblical, and it's much worse than we think. R Republicans will not attack that. There's one party, and that is Big Pharma. We have learned that they have more power than anything on earth, okay, than nation states, and they've even made nation states put their military assets as liens uh, as part of these vaccine contracts. So my concern is that they, that bond won't allow them to broach it at a leadership level. You know, you'll have some of the backbenchers uh, doing that. Uh, Steve, isn't it time that we make a litmus test in the Republican Party, to the extent we even have influence in it, that Pfizer be treated the way we treat Planned Parenthood? I completely agree uh, with that. I heard you mention that a few weeks ago, and I thought that was a brilliant observation. I completely agree with that. And I, I, I actually agree with your analysis and don't think that it's different than mine. See, I, I think that there are two rights, just like there are two Americas, okay? And, and I, I think that there is the controlled opposition right. And then I think there's the, there's the, there is, I guess we would call it a, a new right or a different right. And this is, this is where Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Steve Bannon do podcasts together, okay? I mean, this is, this is where yep. Joe Rogan, we're now, is Joe Rogan the next Rush Limbaugh? OK. <laughs> All right. This is a different this is a different this is a different right. And what you're seeing now is that more and more of the platforms that matter on our side are are more and more adopting the narrative of this new right. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I know there was a big controversy last week about um, some people uh, with major platforms now attempting to essentially retcon themselves as the ultimate COVID stand warriors. Okay. And then a lot of people went back and forth on who was right all along on this and who was wrong. And was this gaslighting? Was it shameless? I think even our company president Gaston chimed in on this, <laughs> I believe. Okay. And, and I'm reminded of when Ted Cruz was first ascending as a Senator after he got elected in the first tea party wave. And I had not met him. I didn't know him at all yet. And people were coming to me because they were asking me, hey, this guy is like, it's like if we created a senator in a cauldron, all right, with a witch's brew or with some AI, it would have came out looking and sounding like this. He can't be this right. He, he's, this has got to be contrived. He, he, it's got to be ambition. No one can be this robotically correct on every issue. And I used to say to people at, the, at that time, let's just assume this is all an act and there are no convictions there at all. I don't care because the because what it shows me is he is he is he is building a brand and capitalizing on our talking points and issues, which shows that our talking points and issues are capital. They're valuable if someone would take advantage of that. 
And and so I kind so whether you know uh, a bunch of people now want to cast themselves as while they were playing footsie with Scott Gottlieb for a year and encouraging their audiences to get masked and, and quadruple jabbed and and now you know they want to come out to the Ultimate Warriors theme music for WrestleMania 14 and pretend that uh, you know they're the people's champ. You know, whether it's sincere or not, it shows where the energy is. It shows where the narrative is at. It shows where our base is at. And there just isn't enough Neil Cavuto's and other types of shows within the Fox family of network for Mitch to go on and provide political porn and morphine for cussing grandmothers who still are wondering if Sean Hannity will get to the bottom of Hillary's emails. All the energy is on with Tucker Carlson. I mean, that's that's that he's he's not the by far their most watched program. And it's not even close. The most watched shows Laura Ingram does. It's when she brings on the Harvey Rishes and Peter McCullough's and a lot of people that, frankly, people like you and me helped find and 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 elevate that most of Americans, including most of our peers, had never previously heard of. So that is where the energy level is at. You're going to have several people that are thinking about running for president or want more of a want more of a face within the GOP, like Cruz, like Rand Paul. You've got friends of ours like Congressman Chip Roy, who has Chip has finally gotten to the point that I'm glad that he now didn't listen to me and ran. <laughs> because because he's given up on the idea that he can practically work within the system and he's just dropping mushroom cloud nuclear bombs every single day. Okay, so now 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 that's worthwhile. And so I, I, I think we're going to actually control that narrative. I think the biggest challenge we have actually in this arena isn't the GOP leadership from the familiar faces. I think we can go from a messaging standpoint, we are, the, the energy is with us and we can go over the top of Mitch McConnell now. I'm more concerned about Donald Trump. Okay. And I'm more concerned about that distraction. Oh, I'm, more, boy. I'm, I'm more concerned about a, a large group of people who won't want to admit the truth about these jabs because he thinks he's the Winston Churchill of COVID. All right. Oh, and this, and, 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 the, and the jabs are as Dunkirk and he saved Western civilization. And, and I'm concerned about that being a distraction. And I'm concerned about him injecting himself into the process to that end and him actually thwarting our ability to control that message. Because this is a man who at one point at the same time right now is saying all the things about Mitch McConnell we've ever wanted a Republican standard bearer to say our entire careers, while at the same time, Kevin McCarthy is his son in whom he is well-pleased. Those things cannot be simultaneously true, okay? So that's what I am concerned about. I'm concerned about Trump energy getting in the way of our energy when Trump's previous political success was like a Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. He capitalized on our energy and adopted it. I'm concerned of, with him now intersecting with it and thwarting it. That's what I'm concerned. So, so you know, Steve, now that you brought that up, I want to play for our listeners. This guy, Daniel McCarthy, he actually ran for Senate, Republican primary last election against Martha McSally, um, who, to my knowledge, is the only person to have ever lost two Senate seats in successive elections in a traditional <laughs> red state to a Democrat. She downed both seats, um, and Trump supported her, but he was the alternative, and he was pissed. And, folks, I want you to take a listen, about a minute and a half here of this video. Uh, take a listen, guys. Hey, Donald Trump, this is Daniel McCarthy in Arizona. The world is waking up to your massive grift. Please stop with the smoke and mirrors with these audits. Stop with your fundraising. 
Stop uh, uh, establishment candidate endorsements. Stop pushing this gene therapy, the sauce. I hear you're coming to Florence, Arizona for another one of your do nothing rah-rah session rallies. Well, I have an offer for you. I will give $1 million to the charity of your choice if you take 30 minutes of your stage time on January 15th and debate me or answer my questions even in front of your crowd. Think about all the things that you've done that you've, got, you've not been held accountable for. You ushered in medical tyranny. You exploded our national debt. You relinquished our sovereignty with the USMCA trade deal. You passed more gun laws than Obama did with fixed nicks. You warned about election fraud, but yet you did nothing to prevent it even after my team months in advance warned you after we were stolen from in the Senate primary. You gave up on therapeutics and you push an experimental gene therapy. People are literally dying because of their trust in you. You enacted the lockdowns and you surrounded yourself with swamp creatures for four years. The January 6th protesters that came down to the Capitol, you set them up. Those people are being treated worse than dogs now. And these are your most loyal supporters. Trump, you failed America. You're the most deceptive president in American history. And trust me, there's been a lot of psyops before. I've posted the terms and conditions of my $1 million offer to my website, www.demanddaniel.com. I look forward to seeing you on January 15th, although I know you won't do it because you're a little bitch. Now, okay, so he goes on and he says after that, uh, well, he doesn't say much, but you know, on video you could see his truck riding over a MAGA hat and he sets it on fire. Steve, I, I want you to be honest here. Was that exhilarating in your heart or was that too harsh? Yes. Um, I, I, Which one? Yes is my answer. <laughs> I think it's both. And, you know, I think it's both because I think there were two Trump presidencies. Uh, I think there was the Trump presidency from uh, inauguration. I remember the very first week when you and I are talking to each other. We see him actually trying to implement the immigration stuff we thought he was just giving lip service to. And you and I were talking to each other that very should we help him? Should we talk to our friends in the White House? Should we, you know, adopt the messaging? Because we're at we were wondering, hey, is this sincere or not? Then you and I realized, you know what, if 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 he's going to fight on our issues and we don't fight with him, aren't we the Bill Crystal type of people that we already claim are, you know what I'm saying? We don't want to be like that. And so there was the, there was a very promising presidency. Did it uh, did it under deliver in key places? Yeah. Did it also over deliver in a few places? Yeah. And at least relatively comparative to his predecessors, albeit so that's a, a low bar, but he certainly cleared it for sure. Uh, from a messaging standpoint, the elevation of the even little things like the March for Life, you know, actually elevating that, using his platform to give a legacy GOP issue national run. Nobody else had done that since Reagan wrote Abortion in the Conscience of a Nation. No one had done that. So it, it, there was a promising presidency there, a, a sane foreign policy. I think the speech that he gave in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, is the best foreign policy speech any American president has given since the end of the Cold War. And I think you saw that sort of Trump doctrine of we're not here to evangelize you, we're not here to rule you, and we're not here to play uh, Islamic referee. If you want, if your if your interests align with ours, great. Let's make some money and and have world peace. If not, leave us the hell alone, and we'll leave you alone. And if you don't, introduce you to Moab. And I think that worked. And we saw unprecedented peace deals and overtures in that region of the country because of that level of of, of practical and I would say principled utilitarian uh, sizing up of the actual situation as opposed to wish casting and projecting. So there were a lot of things there to be to, that that particularly for me, who was a Trump skeptic all along, 
that I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and then there's uh, early March 2020, the second Trump presidency, yes. and two the and, and I think the two worst modern decisions in the history of the presidency, one of them, the worst decision in the history of the presidency to go along with lockdowns and not even so much the 15 days to flatten the curve, even that proved in hindsight to be dumb. But I think at the time, all of us probably could have justified, let's just call a timeout and see what we're dealing with. It was the next 30 days to slow the spread. They lost the narrative. They never got it back. And they elevated Fauci to potentate status and and all the damage done by those lockdowns, the economic damage, the, the, the anecdotal stuff. But but St- Steve, let's not forget that. I mean, I don't know the last time Trump said this, but I couldn't have been more than a few months ago, well oh, over a year after he this. Doing he, it? Yes. he was yeah. still saying he saved millions. Yeah, of my lives. wife's my wife's uh, therapy practice and therapy practices like this all over the country that are turning children away because they don't have enough space for all the demands from a mental illness standpoint would probably beg to differ with that. Okay, so. I, 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 it's the worst decision in the history of the U.S. presidency. He didn't make it alone, but it certainly would not have been made without him. And then I think Operation Warp Speed, uh, at, at the best you can say about it now in hindsight, is that we got a substandard limited efficacy product with questionable side effects in exchange for unprecedented uh, attempts to impose uh, against individual autonomy uh, of an American of the American population since the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments ended slavery, okay? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the best-case scenario of what that accomplished. And, and, and I think, I, I, I think let me just sum up, because we're running out of time here, but the two things you mentioned, it, there's one common thread, in that we understand the left throws an unprecedented curveball at you. It would be really nice if you could hit the ball and uh, not strike out. But even if you do... It's that you won't double down on it and you will learn with information. So, look, I don't blame anyone for for thinking, you know, come January uh, 2021, yeah, let's just get these things out, get some immunity from it, whatever. But as the evidence mounted that this ain't your grandfather's vaccine and there were so many issues getting worse and worse and worse and what they're doing with it to give aid and comfort and push boosters even though you already had natural immunity i mean the worst element of it what that demonstrates to me is ego going forward will always get in the way and i want to see if you agree with me i don't care about 2024 i will be dead by then if we don't do uh, as you say to do what you believe now while we still can i don't even care but what i do care about the presidential election is like you mentioned the distraction and sucking out the oxygen from what we can do because i'll never forget my father was the biggest ross perot fanatic around in 1992 i mean that's that's what i grew up with and I mean, he used to go to the United We Stand chapter meetings and everything. He was obsessed with him. But my father, by the time not 96 came around, he very interestingly and astutely always said that Perot's biggest mistake was not stepping aside. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of his persona. The media made fun, fun out of it. He was a little bit goofy, a little bit, you know, off his rocker sometimes. He started a good independent movement, got almost 20% of the vote as a third party in a presidential election. He could have built a movement, but he had to get out of the way to do it. I think that's where we are with Trump now. I, I agree. And I think the episode uh, a couple of weeks back, first of all, whoever in his team thought it was a great idea for him to do a national tour alone with Bill O'Reilly should really never, ever work in politics again and clearly cannot read a room. But that episode a couple of weeks ago where he's now lecturing his base, 
and saying things like, don't don't give the other side their talking points. That's George W. Bush with McCain Kennedy 15 years ago. Uh, well, we don't want to be the party of intolerance uh, and, and, and xenophobia, um, just like we're just like we're accused of. See, one of the brilliance of Donald Trump is my Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. He has checked every single box, but and he's done it, and and that's why he's built so much loyalty with his base, and a lot of that is our own base. What's what's changing here, and this is where you see people like Pedro Gomez, you see people like Ned Ryan and Julie Kelly at American Greatness. That's 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 basically the MAGA National Review, which I don't mean to insult them with that comparison, but what I mean by that is <laughs> that that's like. That's intellectual MAGAism. I'm trying to give them a compliment, if you know what I'm trying to say. Okay, serious MAGA thinkers, not like clickbaiters or grifters or opportunists. These are people with serious principles and beliefs who are intellectually quantifying that kind of Trumpian agenda. Okay, Um, you saw John. um, uh, What's his face? Who's I can't remember. Who's a huge uh, Trump guy. Um, The John Cardillo, the Florida host. Uh, coming yes. out and uh, and like, hey, no, that it's not right. Um, I I think he's in he's really close to violating the one of my ten commandments that are the most lethal to violate. Don't ever go against your base, ever, unless your base is morally wrong. Okay, don't ever ever go against your base. And and he is at the very least, you know, when when I was on the cruise campaign, can I give your audience a little inside baseball? Okay. When I was on a cruise campaign, one of our greatest strategy um, frustrations is here we had here we had the candidate whose father literally groomed him to be a Reaganite, okay? Who was literally created and raised in a petri dish of 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 Russell Kirkian, Bill Buckley, Ronald Reagan, you know, venerable American conservatism. He was like a construct of it, and had like the perfect voting record his entire career, and yet. Trump got to the right of us on like every single issue that mattered. And he did it with no record whatsoever or a record that showed the opposite, like giving money to Planned Parenthood and Al Sharpton. He did it with his messaging. He got to the right of us. So so he kind of became, I mean, you and I used to have those conversations privately at a time. How did Trump become the bro dude badass candidate here? Remember those conversations we used to have? He did it. He got to the right of us and we could never get that space back. We could never get back to the right of him. And no one in the GOP yep. has been able to do it for the last five years, Daniel, until now. What he is saying now is absolutely opening the, his right flank, and it's doing so on an issue that his base is the angriest about than anything I've ever seen. Angrier than TARP, angrier yes. than immigration, and that's angry. Angrier than anything I've ever seen. Anything. And, and, and now it's a question of, will someone arise to exploit that? Or will he feel threatened enough to realize he's got to close that breach? And I think one of those two things will happen here within the next 12 to six, 12 to 18 months. Steve, how do you fight a cult? Um, what I mean by that is typically when you have a Jonestown, they're off in a corner and you're not going to convince them, but they don't affect you. But here we have a cult that wants to forcibly drag you into the cult and they're trying to kill you, literally, I would say, kill us, kill our liberties, but kill our lives as well. How do you fight a cult? Do we need our own tribalism? They have their tribalism that in order to be a member, you have to have, you have to be a man of the cloth. You need to put on the cloth. 
You got to, you know, brag about the number of shots you got. Doesn't matter. You can get COVID five times after getting the shot, but as long as you get the shot, it's a tribalism. We did, we we gener- generally don't like that. Mm-hmm. But how do you fight something malignant with something benign? Do we need our own tribalism where we will start to become intolerant of their stuff, where we ban downright ban masks, ban you know businesses from from imposing this stuff? Equal and opposing force. Do we only associate? with people like ourselves, do we have to do that? I would say no, because I think that zero times zero is zero. That this sort of, you know, um, having the, 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 the Bolsheviks fight the Mensheviks, having the Assyrians fight the Babylonians, at a period of, for a period of time may be strategically beneficial in order for you to refortify and for you to be left alone or to escape imprisonment. But over the long term, um, you, you don't want to deal with whoever comes out of that fight because it goes against the transcendent uh, values and, and worldview that you're trying to represent here in an earthly plane. But I also think it's a false choice between do we have to become tribalist or do we have to maintain the 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 David Frenchian, um, you know, like the French army rifle on eBay? Um, uh, seldom held, never fired. Uh, is the ad no? And and I think what 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 we actually need even more critical thinking. I I love the fact, I love the fact that that Robert F. Kennedy's talking to Tucker Carlson. I love the fact yeah. that Naomi Wolf was was out there aggressively um, selling and sharing Fauci and Bargain, my book, on social media earlier this year. OK, we I think we need to recognize that conservatism as a political strategy is a dead car is, is dry bones, Ezekiel. OK, it's dead. Yep. Now, it's not dead from a philosophical standpoint, because in the end, as Mark Levin has said for years, conservatism is an observational science. It's basically just looking at what is true, good, and beautiful through history and trying to conserve that which has revealed itself to be those things. But from a political strategy standpoint, there are no institutions to conserve anymore except our own families. And that's an act of self-defense. And if we conserve them, we're conserving liberalism. Yes. Yes. We need to become truthists. Wherever the truth is, wherever the truth is, that's where we need to be. And, 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 and I think, to me, the truth is the antidote to their tribalism. The truth is. Yes. All right? and, and, yes. and we follow the truth no matter what the repercussions are or no matter how it may violate our previous alliances. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if you would have told me I'd be out there retweeting. When I, I first got into this business 15 years ago to oppose people like Andrew Sullivan, kind of the, he was basically the <laughs> Benjamin Franklin of the gay rights movement. He was their first real respected intellectual. Now, Daniel, half of his Twitter feed is stuff I, you and I would say, okay? To me, I think we need to go where the truth is and shine as much truth as we can with impunity in order to, 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 re- to both condemn, expose, mock, scorn, and defeat the tribalism. And then on the second front, we need to be more aggressive. The the number one political calculus in America that must change, and if it does not, we are going to head to a civil war. Because what happens right now is one side wins an election and they believe that they are not restrained by anything and can do whatever the hell they want. That's why they're losing their minds with Joe Manchin right now. What do you mean you're going to represent the people of West Virginia and not us? Okay. That's not what Mary Landrew did when she got elected in Louisiana. Don't you know the game you're supposed to play? 
The other side believes that they can actually just act on force of will alone. Our guys get elected and it's about how do we get then get reelected? Like their side gets reelected to do stuff. Our side gets reelected to be somebody. What we need to see, what, I, what DeSantis is doing in Florida is not just federalism. This is good old fashioned like interposition doctrine of the ledger, lesser magistrate stuff. He is saying to businesses in Florida, if you if you do what OSHA tells you to do with a vaccine mandate, I will impose a bigger fine on you. I will defund your school district if you try to do masks. We must punish our political. Both of you and both you and I have children, several of them. If we do not, if we punish some children for acting out in our families, but do not punish them all evenly, what happens to the standard of justice? And then the child that is not punished or the children that are not punished, what will they do? Will they, will they police themselves? No, they will continue to push boundaries. When our guys and gals get elected, they have to aggressively use the levers of power to punish the other side. Like we will fire you if you teach this in our schools, you're fired. We'll decertify your union. We will defund you in our legislatures. We will punish yes. you. Because until the other side, what, the reason why the old left of center, right of center kind of Venn diagram from the 80s and 90s is totally gone is there's no restraint on the left in America now. They think they can do whatever the hell they want. We need to restore those restraints peaceably, through, but aggressively through the political process. Because if we don't, we're going to tell millions of Americans that own guns, their votes don't matter anymore. They can't get uh, agreement. Nothing, Nothing matters. matters. And so you're on your own. And brother, that that's not a place I'd like for my kids to have to go to because it won't be people like you and me fighting that. It'll be them. OK. And, and I think what's interesting, Steve, you talk about these new alliances, a new era. And I think this is so important. There's too many guys that literally I call them the algorithm conservatives and, and they mean well, some of these guys. But they have like a sheet of paper, okay, Planned Parenthood, I'm pro-gun, anything that's not on that list, they can't reinvent the wheel. They just can't get into it. Um, you and I didn't know anything about cytokine storms right. and, and you know, pulmonary inflammation, myocarditis and whatever, but, but that's where it's at. And to me, I, I said this for, for a number of days by now, I believe that Pfizer is a much greater threat to the cause of life and liberty than Planned Parenthood, uh, because you know I believe in the unborn, but the born are certainly a life, and 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 literally COVID me, fascism has directly your, killed let me millions. Reinforce your point for you. We were aghast, and I think it. I think while it didn't move the country as a whole, the pro-life or big baby, as our president Gaston Mooney called it when he worked in the Senate. All right, big baby. <laughs> we forced them when the videos of Planned Parenthood came out from David Delight and the whistleblowers showing them peddling body parts. Our base got much more radicalized on the life issue and said, All right, enough of these, and then you can kill the baby after Labor Day at 3 a.m. BS bills. We want to end this stuff right now, start crafting legislation to put an end to this barbarism and savagery now. All right. And you'll see the level of the level of threat against Roe and Casey, the legislation coming out of our states since the Delighton videos, it raised the threat level quite a bit. The same thing is happening right now when Pfizer forces FDA commissioners to say on camera, well, the only way we can find out if it's safe for your kids is to test it on them in real time. OK, that kind of stuff is that's plant. That's that. Put that. 
put that in the context of a Delighton video over a, suit, a Caesar salad lunch with a Planned Parenthood executive, and it's the same conversation. It's the exact yeah. same conversation. But, 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 but Steve, except it's a different conversation because this is the equivalent of forcing you to get an right. abortion. See, that's the Good thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, and this is this is why, to me, I am. I believe that COVID fascism is a much bigger life issue, and I think branching out henceforth from COVID fascism, biomedical state, and big pharma, because I think we all believe this is not the first rodeo; it's the most evident one. But there are so many areas where they're they're blocking treatment, lying, foisting bad things upon us. And, and to me, this movement that I've been a part of is the greatest movement I've ever been a part of. I would say a majority are still probably right-wingers, but, man, Pierre Corey just tweeted out, you know, um, independent of being a liberal or conservative Republican Democrat, your columns have been the most eroded and accurate and data-driven I've read the entire time in major media outlet. Good going, man, don't stop. That's what he mm -hmm. tweeted at me. Corey is a mm -hmm. liberal. Um, for many Cole years he was. Who designed the CDC's original VAERS database for them? And has been one of the great Barrington Declaration authors and has been banned off of Twitter, what, three or four times? He's a freaking socialist, Daniel. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's the thing. This has really there's a reawakening here. So to me, you know, I, I was uh, I have a group of, you know, Facebook fans that they kind of search some of the legislative agenda for me, different states so I can be on top of it. And they send back to me from the states that they were responsible for looking at a bunch of gun things. I'm like, geez, we have more gun rights than ever in history and less other mm -hmm. rights. We have more tyranny than ever before. It's not the palladium of all liberties. I would argue that healthcare freedom is the palladium of liberty in, in, in the era we live in. And people have to understand it doesn't mean you change. I'm the same person I was always, and I think you are as well, but you got to understand what time it is. And my concern is- the men who understand I, the times and know what to do about them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and all these candidates running, if you look at a lot of them, it, it is may as well be 1998. Yes. They just don't know what time it is. It's like, I'm for lower taxes, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-gun. Like, what the hell does that have to do with what's going on? I mean, if Luke, and, if Luke and, Rosiak and, at the Daily Wire, and if anybody, if anybody, if we had a real media, Luke Rosiak at the Daily Wire would have won a, a Pulitzer for what he wrote about what was going on there in Loudoun County. Because no one piece of... of of, of, of media this year had more of a singular impact on, an, on a worldly specific outcome, particularly in an election, than his, what he blew the whistle, the, the door, or, the, or the, the, the covering, the camouflage off of there in Loudoun County, Virginia, in that school district. Prior to that, Glenn Youngkin was going to lose. It probably would have been a respectable loss, given the atmosphere, the energy, and the fact Terry McAuliffe is very unlikable, but he still would have been overwhelmed in the end by the sheer numbers. Why did he win? Because, him, because his campaign smartly read the room in the last six months or six weeks of that campaign and realized this is the certain, we need to be a, we, we are a surfboard, jump on that wave of what's going on right now within these local control issues and school board issues and make those our issues, okay? And that's what we need, that, that's where platforms like ours, shows like Tucker's and Glenn's and others, and this is why, to me, and, and I, I tweeted about this in last week in response to that whole argument about who was right about this from the very beginning. We are having arguments that we would have had a year ago or 16, 18 months ago if, uh, if several of our platforms and hosts who are like the aircraft carriers of our industry here 
if they had not self mothballed. <laughs> but if they had if they had at least asked questions, doesn't mean they had to be as daring as you yes. and I were. We don't you know, you and I can't afford to be banned off of all these platforms, but we also don't have shows that generate millions of dollars in income for people like several of these people do. So I understand being cautious with that. My show's grown over 300% in the last year and a half. That's caused me now to be, we've sold out my show for for last year and almost sold it out for this year. That's, that causes me to be a little bit more cautious in, in, in going to Todd and Aaron and vetting new guests before we have them on because I, I, there's more at stake. I've got a sales staff that is now relying on me to help pay their bills. So I, I understand you know, being guarded to some degree and, and wanting to wait to some degree. But there was, like, I don't fault Mark Levin at all for interviewing Anthony Fauci in March of 2020 because none of us really knew. We had questions, but none of us really knew. The real issue is where the hell was everybody in July, August, September, October of last of that year? Where were they? Where were they that's, all that's of last year? Where were they? It's always a day late, a dollar short. If you notice, they, they weren't there with the lockdowns. When lockdowns really weren't such a thing anymore and it was the mask, they were against, they, they became against the lockdowns. Then they were for the masks. Then when it was more the vaccine, then it was okay. It was kind of kosher to start inveighing against the mask. And then now it's like, yeah, well, maybe, you know, when it's but, – but this is my point. You call your shot. You start putting down what you can. You know, I mean, Steve, you know this with me. I'm always the first in everything. But when it comes to the vaccine, I was a little slower just because it's super technical. There's a lot going on there. Um, So I wasn't quite the first in. It was an extra month or two there. And I watched it. I watched it carefully. And you build it up. And but 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 to go on for an entire year and just allow this to go on, it it is it is shocking. And, And I think to your point, I think even more than Tucker, I think a guy like Rogan is really where the future is going to be because he has what three, four times as many people um, who listen to him. To 11 million, I think uh, downloads per podcast is what per podcast. And then the McCullough one supposedly got, got 40 million downloads. Um, I, I, I do think this is, there's a lot of ability to, to use healthy populism to merge people that used to be irreconcilable I think that new alliances is the way it is, new strategies, um, you know, forge new strategies to implement our, our well-established principles rather than ditching our principles because we're doubling down on the same failed strategies. Steve, I'll give you the last word headed into 2020. I, I think that what you just said, and I think that circles us back to the very first question you asked here at the beginning of this. That's where the optimism comes in. We are we are we are seeing pushback uh, on on and, and talking points within the mainstream now emerging within the mainstream of our industry and our movement that guys like you and I have fought for years and were called radicals and crazies and unmarketable for wanting us wanting us to do and 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 I don't I think we're never going back this is never going back to the cocaine Mitch Mitt Romney John McCain. Uh, consultant-driven era. It's never going back. It may not go forward as much as we need. It may not win in the end. It might be too late, but it's never going back. And that at least gives us some kind of a fighting chance. 
the idea that six months ago, prominent voices within MAGA world would be all would be openly criticizing and differentiating themselves from Trump on an issue of huge weight and divisive um, uh, divisive combustibility just wasn't even on the menu. And now here we are. And, 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 and that's good. Regardless of what you think about whether Trump should run again or not, critical thinking is our friend. The fact that yes. there's more of a market emerging. Joe Rogan has arguably the biggest media platform, single media platform in the United States of America right now. And if you look at it, if you, if you go through and look, go on Spotify and look at the menu of his shows, all of it to some degree, even the stuff that is about, um, you know, uh, uh, marijuana, but all of it comes stuff that we were like, dude, that's dumb. But it all comes from a place of this guy's a truth seeker. That he just wants to know what's real and what's not. And the biggest problem we've had on our side for so many years is we've had these guardrails. Fox News, for example, how many times were guys like you and I told by people in Congress, we can't talk about that, guys. It won't play on Fox tonight. OK, <laughs> a lot of these guardrails are gone. In the case of Roger Ailes, they passed away. In the case of Weekly Standards and National Reviews, they've been swept away. And now there is more of a market now for the unvarnished seeking of truth than ever before. And for those of us that got into this because we're conservatives seeking to conserve what is true and beautiful and best for humanity, because history has revealed that to be the case, what's the first thing there? True. And so the, if the fact that the market is growing with the truth, and that's why they're censoring it. It's never the people on the side of truth doing the censoring. It's always the ones opposed to it. And so I, that's where I think the great optimism is. Now, our generation, one plants and other waters, and God gives the increase. Our era may be the era that establishes that beachhead so that our children and grandchildren then pick it up from there and maybe don't have to fight, God bless him, a civil war. So that's why I think right now our focus in the immediate and long term is to create as many avenues and paths and for the truth as possible and to elevate as many truth tellers as we possibly can, regardless of the source or regardless of what they were wrong or right about five years ago, 10 years ago or 10 minutes from now. That's a really good point. Again, new strategies to promote biblical godly values fighting the right issue in the right way at the right time. That's what we're all about here. If you guys want to hear more of this every day, that's why you got to subscribe to The Blaze, where Steve has a daily show. Um, you can pick up his books on Amazon. There's several of them, including uh, Fauci and Bargain and his latest, Do What You Believe. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you later. And folks, we are about out of time. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.